The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. All right, our uh, scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the laws of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. How are you guys doing today? Good. Well, again, thank you for the amazing uh, happy, birthday, uh, happy, happy birthday song. I can report back to my mom that I was well-loved, so she'll appreciate that. Uh, let's say a quick prayer, and then we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we come before you humbly asking that you speak. Lord, that as we continue to engage your gospels, your good news of Jesus, Lord, that you open the doors to our hearts and to our minds that we might understand you better uh, and understand who you called us to be. Uh, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So growing up, I played a lot of the game Telephone. Remember that game where you get in this group of circle and you go through and you start off with like, I would like to eat a ham sandwich with bacon and it ends up with like my firstborn child was taken and you're like, oh my gosh, that's horrible, right? I was always the stinker in that game because I liked to throw it off. I liked to find like the modifications, so it really got off tilt, right? The reason why I bring that up is because as we're looking through the Gospels, and this whole series is looking at how each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all telling the same story but are giving us a different perspective of who Jesus is. For a long time, historians looked at the Gospels kind of like a game of telephone. And the reason why they were all different was because people kept telling the same story that they had actually made up. And so that story kept changing. And so the idea was almost that, you know what, Jesus started out as a good guy. Maybe he shared a ham sandwich. And then eventually the story just got bigger and bigger and bigger until this guy who was just a nice guy, well, now they're calling him the son of God, and then they wrote that down. Right? And so for a long time, secular historians treated the Bible like it was that telephone game. And the best book they would use as an example of that was Luke. Because Luke would go through, and unlike the other Gospels, Luke would be very specific about names and places and objects in cities so specific that historians were like, there is no way that this is out here. In fact, they were convinced that most of the places in the book, in the Gospel of Luke, and then in its follow-up book in Acts, were just made up. And the argument was, Luke did that, to make it sound like he knew what he was talking about, to make his version of Jesus better. What's funny, though, was that as historians and archaeologists specifically started spending time in Asia, in these places that Luke described, well, one after another, these cities stop show it, start showing up exactly where Luke had told. See, there had been 2,000 years from when these archaeologists had moved, so a lot of these cities had actually crumbled to dust, right? They were buried. And there was a very highly well-known archaeologist called William Ramsey. And he's quoted at the end of his career, after he's been to Asia, after he's looked for these cities, and what he says is this. He says, I set out to look for truth on the borderland where Greece and Asia meet and found it 
as described in Luke and Acts. He goes on and he says, You may press the words of Luke in a degree beyond any other historians, and they stand the keenest scrutiny and the hardest treatment. This was a secular archaeologist. This wasn't a guy who was starting out to say, I want to prove that the Bible is real. No, he sought out, he's like, I just want to know what's true. And as he spent time in Asia, what he found again and again and again, the cities described in Luke, the places and the people described in Acts matched almost perfectly with what he was finding deep in the dirt. And so when you read through Luke, especially what you find is that it's deeply historical. But there is a caveat to that. It's not a history book. And this is important. And this is something that as modern-day Christians, we can get into our heads and kind of get confused a little bit. Now, when I think, if I'm going to write a history book, or when we're in school and we're reading history, it's very much a chronological document, right? That is the point of a history book, is to figure out when exactly did everything happen in what order. Sometimes we try to treat the Gospels like that, and then we end up having like, well, this happened here in this Gospel, and this happened here in this Gospel, and then we get in our heads, oh, so one of them must not be right. But that only works if we're saying that the Bible is meant to be a history book in the genre that we would consider in a modern Western culture. But as we've been talking about, the Bible, and as great as the great state of Texas is, as great as America is, was not written to Americans in the 21st century, right? We've been talking about how one of the big things that we need to do when reading the Bible is something called exegesis and hermeneutics. Exegesis says, first we have to know who was the Bible originally written to and what was the original purpose of that. Because once we know that, then we can say, okay, if this was the original meaning, this is where it's going now, today. This is what it means for us, right? And one of the cool things about Luke is he's very specific. In the very beginning of his book, he says exactly what he set out to do. Uh, This comes from Luke 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were uh, eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully invested everything from the beginning— I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. When Christianity started, we were an oral religion. It was passed on from eyewitness to eyewitness. And the reason why that's so important is historically, at this time, the literate culture was only about 1%, right? So if the Bible was purely, right, a written document, only 1% of the people would actually be able to read it. And so when the apostles first go out, and you see this throughout Acts especially, they start from the Old Testament, they start in the temple, they start telling the story of God, but then they proclaim, they tell the story of who Jesus was. And yet, as these proclamations, as this oral tradition happens, what Luke sets out to do is he goes, guys, you've heard the story about Jesus. Theophilus was a Christian who had heard the stories, but what Luke specifically sets out to show is he goes, I want to be able to show you how God's original plan was always Jesus. And so when you look throughout all of Luke, what you end up seeing is Luke taking the story of the Old Testament 
and saying, see what God said here? Jesus is fulfilling it here. See what God did here? Jesus is fulfilling it here. And so the original audience of Luke actually is probably the closest audience to us because it was Greeks. It was people who didn't grow up in the Jewish church, in the Jewish faith. They needed to know the story. They needed, it wasn't indoctrinated into them early on. And so Luke comes and he goes, I'm going to explain to you this tradition. I'm going to explain to you this history in the same way that we as Americans need to be explained and learn the history. And you see this throughout the book of Luke. He keeps going back and back and back and saying there's only one story that God has always been up to. And it's always been culminating in who Jesus is. You see this, uh, this is in Luke 2. This is after Jesus was born. His parents are bringing him to the temple. And it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's mother and father mother marveled at what had been said about him. And Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and will be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There also was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until 84. She had never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. There's two things that we see here in this verse. First, we see Luke explaining the customs of the Jewish people, right? Because if you're a Greek, you don't understand the background of why would you bring a child to a temple and why are these people worshiping and praying, right? He goes through and he explains the customs of what's happening. But beyond that, he ties the customs to the history of the Old Testament, to this promised Messiah, this anointed one who was going to come. And throughout Luke, again and again and again, he emphasizes the point that God's plan was always in Jesus. I love this line, a light to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. In that, he says, both Gentiles, those who weren't originally a part of the faith, you have a place here. You have a king here. You have a God who has come to be a light to you. But also, in the glory of your people Israel. This is the culmination of what God was doing throughout the entire Old Testament. Jesus was always the point. Jesus was always the plan. But then Luke doesn't just end there. He goes on. This is uh, later in Luke, Luke 22. He says, A dispute arose among them, these are the disciples of Jesus, as to which of them would be considered the greatest. But Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. Those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, 
and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater than the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I among you, I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you the kingdom just as my father conferred it onto me. Luke talks about how Jesus is a different kind of king. He starts off by saying, you know how the Gentiles do it. You know how the world considers what's powerful. But that's not power in my kingdom. That's not greatness in my kingdom. He says, in my kingdom, the greatest is like the youngest. And the one who God sent the Messiah came not to be served, but to serve. And then he ends it, and he says, and I confer on you my kingdom, just as my father conferred on me. What we see in Luke is a different kind of king with different kind of kingdom citizens. He says, you don't have to be like the rest of the world. The rest of the world is going to play by power rules. Get political might. Get financial might. Get military might. Jesus says, no, not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, I have come to serve. And if you want to be great in my kingdom, he says, you're going to follow suit. You're going to pass the same kingdom on that the Father has passed on to me. Now I am passing on to you. And he goes, and you want to know how much I love you? You want to know how far I'm willing to serve you? Well, in Luke, we find out that when Jesus is betrayed, When he's crucified, we have these words. Two other men, both criminals, were led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him along with the other criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In Luke's gospel, the king shows up. And again and again and again, Luke emphasizes that this is always the plan, that this was always going to be the Messiah. And in like all the Gospels, we reject him. And that's all of us, right? All of us at times would rather be the one who is served, not serving. All of us at times would rather be powerful in the world's eyes than great in God's eyes. We want it to be all about us. And in our own ways, we reject Jesus. But even in his ultimate rejection, what does Jesus say? He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. A different kind of king. A different kind of kingdom. And so when Jesus comes back to life, and this is from Luke 24, he says, He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Because all the stuff in the Old Testament, it had a point, it had a purpose. And it was all coming to a culmination, an apex in me. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to the name of all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And I am sending, I'm going to send you what the Father has promised. 
but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So this was always the point. But there's a purpose to this point. In fact, one of the cool things about Luke is that Luke is not a standalone gospel. Most historians, most theologians refer to Luke as Luke-Acts because the book of Acts takes place exactly after the moment after Luke chapter 24 ends, Luke chapter 1 begins. And we know historically it's written by the same author to the same person because the story doesn't end in Luke. It connects into the church working through the book of Acts. You want to know why we call it Acts? It's because of the acts of what God did through the church. It's how God was acting. It's how God was still moving. It was God's promise, I'm going to send changed people into a changing world. To change the world. That's why Acts 1 begins with, but you will receive power on me when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Jesus tells his disciples and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There was a plan. There's been a plan since the beginning that God was going to send Jesus to forgive us, to give us life, but then to send us out to be change agents, to be ambassadors of what God was doing, to be great in the king's eyes, not in the world's eyes. And so as you're reading through Luke, first know that it is a book that is written to people like us, people who don't always get it, people who miss the point, people who reject the Messiah and yet still hear the words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing and then comes back and says, now I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. I have a plan for this world. And I want you guys to do it together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need a king who serves. We need a king who forgives. We need a king who specializes in people who don't get it. Father, Lord, we're at the front of that line. And yet, Father, your word promises to reveal the scriptures to us, to connect us to you. Lord, I pray that in this coming week, in these coming years, that we as a church could be like the church in Acts. Not perfect, messy, and yet following you and empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, to be a witness, to be a change agent of who you are and what you're doing. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.